Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. Three things that I want to look at this morning after we define what love is, according to the scriptures, we're going to look at love is defined by God. The definition of love, love is actually defined by God. We want to also see, too, that love is to be discernible. We should be able to see what love is and what love is not. And then lastly, love is to be developed. It is that which we are to make as a critical and foundational part of our life as we'll see in the scriptures, and we'll be spending a lot of time in 1 John through our journey today. So what is love? That word in scripture actually means benevolence, and that is you're looking out for the well-being. You have care and concern for the well-being of another. Benevolence, especially in the case of a deity down to people. Benevolence also carries with it the definition of affection. And one of the other definitions that it has is actually a love feast. I I love that. It is kind of this overabundance of affection and benevolence. So this kind of love feast. Think of it this way. You have dinner every day for the most part at your house. You have dinner and sometimes small, sometimes big. But the difference between your daily dinner and for many people, your Thanksgiving dinner, you don't have a Thanksgiving feast every day. You know, you don't have, you know, I've seen all kind of memes, you know, where they said um, the mac and cheese is more important than the turkey. For some of y'all, that's the case. But it's this feast. You expect certain things, and you kind of go overboard. And you bring family, and you have this abundance of what you may have portions of on a daily basis. And so in the same light, when you think about God's love, it's not just this caring, this affection. It is this feast that he brings, but his feast is every day of love for you. And if that doesn't shock you, if that doesn't cause you to be in awe, think about who is the one initiating it and to whom um, are the people that are receiving it. Think about it for a second. The perfect holy God brings his feast to sinful, dirty humanity. And he brings this daily feast, but how he started this was when he gave his best gift in Jesus Christ. See, understand this. If you ever wonder about the love of God for your life, and let me just pause there for a second. One of the biggest ways that Satan attacks us in our thought life is about the love of God. Oh, sometimes he'll get into the sovereignty of God. 
Oh, is God really in control? Look at, look at the world around you. Is he really in control? But you can solidify that. You know, God, you know, God is in control. He has demonstrated it in the scriptures. Sometimes in wisdom, we question God's wisdom, not because we don't think God is wise enough. We don't think what he has chosen. I'm going to say, we don't like what he has chosen or the way in which he is bringing about what he has chosen. Many times we don't like the processes of God. But what we don't realize is when we do that, we are questioning the wisdom of God. We've seen in our study, if you guys have not been there, you missed it. We've seen in our study that the wisdom of God, wisdom is the best course of action for you in any given situation. And so God is always working out the best solution for your life and in your life, but sometimes we don't agree with that when we see what's happening. But where we get a lot of the attack in our thought life is about the goodness and the caring of God. God, you don't care. God, you're not good. If you were, how can you? A lot of people have taken down, have taken apart, or have reversed their faith. Talking about deconstruction is most of them, when you look at why, they have this issue of if God is all-powerful and all-knowing, sovereignty and wisdom, how on earth could he allow this? So if he is all-wise and he is always in control, he must not be good or loving to let happen what has happened in my life. And, and, and if many of you were honest, that question has come up in your mind, and you've had to fight that thought many times. Does he love me? You don't care. And you see over time, i use this example from our study, you see over time, sometimes pain prolonged will cause us to doubt God's goodness. You look at the life of Job in the first chapter after he lost everything. Job has the right and the godly response. I think it's, I believe it's Job 1. 21, where he says, the Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, or the Lord's name is to be praised. It doesn't make sense that when you see what happened in his life, that it would be followed by his statement of praise. But he was right. And for those of you, I've had someone once say to me, Job, I mean, the Bible states what Job said, but what Job said wasn't right. I said, no, that's not the truth. It was. He said, well, how do you know? I said, look at the next verse, because it says, in all that Job said, he did not sin. He was right. Had he said something wrong, that verse could not follow. He stated correctly. But then you look at Job chapter 35, 34, I believe it is. Verse 5, and he says, the Lord has denied me justice. What? Wait a minute. Is this the same dude that said the Lord gives, the Lord take away, blessed be the name of the Lord? Now, you have to understand, when Job made that first statement, he lost everything. And everything was his family, all of his kids were killed by a natural disaster. 
His wife called him a fool and walked away because she wanted him to curse God and die. And then if that wasn't enough, he lost his business, everything that he had worked for. He was a man of high standing. And if that wasn't enough, he lost his health. And at the end of all that, he says, may the name of the Lord be praised. How is it in in chapter 34, we get the Lord has denied me justice. And later in that chapter, he makes the statement, it was not good for anyone. It's not good for anyone to delight in God. It's of no benefit is what he said. It is of no benefit that man delights in God. Now, we know later that he got corrected when God told him to stand up and answer me like a man since you wanted to act like one and call me out. But how God answered Job wasn't how dare you. He understood that Job did not have pain prolonged causes us to question God's goodness He had to give him a dose of, do you understand who I am? Because Job had forgotten. And really what Job had done is what many of us do. He took God and placed him on his level. And God said, let me remind you, I'm God and you're not. And we need that. That was actually God's love and play. Because if it were me, you would not have a book about Job because I probably would have obliterated him. There would be no discussion. But God in his love said, Job, what you need is to see me for who I really am. And then from that, Job responded in saying, boy, I spoke way above where I should have. He said, I spoke of things too wonderful for me. Some of you would say, I spoke outside of my pay grade. And then he says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes see you. And what he was saying is that he experienced God in a different and a deeper way. See, the issue is God's love for us sets this model as this feast that he constantly gives And so the first point, love is to be defined. Romans 5, 8, I know he doesn't have this one yet. Romans 5, 8, it's defined by how it was demonstrated. We know this one. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, love is to be, love is is defined, God defined it by how he demonstrated it. Because we know although love is a noun, it acts in Scripture as a verb. It is an action word. You can say all you want that you love. We're going to see this later. All you want, but if there is no demonstration of your love, it is just words. That's all it is. Like people today, they fall in and out of love, in and out of love, when for many times what they're discussing is infatuation. But love does something. When you look at 1 Corinthians 13 and you see, I said this before, what love is, what you really see is what love does. 
when you take a look at that. <clears throat> so love is defined by God. 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10 says, in this is love. In this. In other words, here is how you will see love actually defined. Not that we have loved God. See, the fact that you claim how much you love God is not a good model or definition of love. It's not. It's more reactive in your response to love. But he says, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's not a word that we use all the time. It's not a word that we use a lot. But he says, look, don't base your definition on love on how you respond, your affection for God. Yes, that is love. But sometimes our love can be conditional. It can be quirky. It can be moody. You base it on feelings. God, I don't feel like I love you. Sometimes you're mad at God because he didn't do what you wanted. But he said, it's not your response to me that demonstrates or defines love. God says, it is my initiation to you. The fact that a pure and perfect, holy God actually wants to have affection for you and I doesn't make sense. I know we think we're all that, but we've got to put that in perspective. He said he loved us and his love was so strong by his choice. And let me pause it for a second. There wasn't anything in you that prompted his love. That's important because now you don't have to put on the show. When I had the conversation with a young man once about that, <clears throat> Um, he was talking about how his work prompts the mercies of God. I was like, brother, it's all on you then. If your love prompts God's mercy, I said, I work out of being approved by God. I'm not trying to perform to get God to like me. You know how important that is? Because that pressure is off the table. Because I'm approved by God, because I have embraced his son and, and Christ is my savior, I am approved, mess and all, period. Now, I may not always do things that he approves of, but I am one of his children. Tell me, parent, although you may want that sometimes, tell me, parent, that when your child, as my mother would say, acts the fool, that you don't disown them as a child, although you discipline them as your child. See, the issue was just because they've done something foolish and wrong doesn't mean you disown them. You discipline them, but they're still your child. And actually, it is out of love that you do it in the perfect sense. And so we understand for God the fact that he loved us and his love did something. One, he realized that we were separated from him as humanity and that he was going to do something to bring us back together because we couldn't. And that big word that, read, that, that, that we don't use, propitiation, 
We don't use just means appeasing, appeasing or satisfying that which caused you to be opposed to someone else. And in this case, to God. In other words, God's wrath, and the scripture bears this, is on those who do not know them. Jonathan Edwards put it this way, you are one breath from eternity and facing the wrath, the justified wrath of an angry God. Not angry because, you know, he got out the wrong side of the bed. No, it's because we are dirty, sinful humans, period. I know we don't like to hear that. And in today's day and age, you don't hear that a lot. We're talking about how wonderful humanity is. Yeah, look outside for a little bit and tell me how wonderful we are. Look at our life and our societies across this world and tell me how wonderful we are. See, the issue is the fact that God even cares and desires to be close and that he did something drastic in our eyes shows that he loves. I had a man say to me once, if you ever doubt the love of God, don't look at your situation. He says, look at the cross. He says, look at the cross. Romans 5, 8 tells us that while we were still sinners, while we were not interested, while we weren't even thinking about God, Christ was dying so that we would. Love is defined by God. And so it is that love that regardless of who you are, he decides to reach out in a benevolent, affectionate way with this love feast of concern to bring about what he wants in your life. And what he first wanted was to draw you to himself so that you could be in relationship with him. I want to ask you, would you do this for your biggest enemy? Would you give up your only child? Would you allow them to suffer greatly and then to be murdered by people that he was actually coming to help and save to bring into a relationship that would change their lives? Let me help you. No. I didn't say your friend. I said your enemy. a person who would as well cuss out your name, tell you to go somewhere, you know, where to go and how far, would you turn and say, here, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to give up my only child so that you could be in a relationship with me. Let me help you with my response, going with your bad self. I'll see you on the other side. But we think about what God did, and many times it passes right over us. We disregard it. That was extreme love. And so what it says to you, when Satan comes to you as you are a believer and says, really, God doesn't care. If he cared, fill in the blank. You should be able to turn and say, I know he cares. Because while I was still a sinner, he was making arrangements that that could change and that I could become a saint. And then he called out to me. And if you were like me, he called out several times. And I didn't want to have anything to do with him. Leave me alone, God. 
Why are you bothering me, messing up my life? So love is defined. In Isaiah, when they gave the prophecy that they would call him, and that was not call him as in name him, they would proclaim him Emmanuel. So why Jesus' name wasn't Emmanuel based on the Isaiah 10 scripture? Because that's not what his name is to be. That would be who he was and is to us. What is that? God with us which makes no sense. It should have read more, the name was God destroys us. But instead, in love, we have Emmanuel, God with us. Don't let Satan fool you into saying God doesn't care. God doesn't love me. Whenever you question that, turn around and look at the cross and you have all the reason so secondly, not only is God, not only is love to be defined, love is defined by God, love is to be discernible. Back up and turn to 1 John chapter 3. Starting at verse 11. He says, for this is the message, and with the four, you got to back up. We're not going to today. But when you go home, back up to the verses before, because that what the four is bringing in are those previous verses. He says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, and that beginning is not the beginning of creation and time. It is the beginning of the new life in Christ. Or whenever Christ now arrives and he begins to speak, that beginning, the beginning of the ministry of Christ, the beginning of the message of Christ to them. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So that message is foundational of love. It is to be discernible. It says we should not be like Cain. So here's what love is not like. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And here was this our love is not to be one that is both vengeful, hateful, as we deal with one another. He says, do not be like Cain. First murder in Scripture. And that murder started in his heart. And actually, Cain, I'm sorry, Abel didn't do anything personally against his brother. It wasn't like, dude, like you stole my stuff or you came in and hurt me. He had nothing to do with them. Abel was busy serving God and giving approved sacrifices. Had no idea that this dude beside him was angry at him because God had accepted him and not Cain. So folk are mad at you because you live in righteously for God and you are approved by God. He says, look, don't let your love be like that. You see someone moving and growing in God and you all mad. Why you approve him? Why you doing that for him? God says, ah, you're not operating in love. You're hateful, which leads to vengeance or being revengeful. And in this case, he had no reason to be vengeful. He says, verse 14, it is to be 
discernible, and it is one that actually marks you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Understand, and that love is in the context of the community. In other words, when you come to Christ, one of the distinguishing and to be discernible marks of you having transferred kingdoms is your your benevolent concern and affection for other believers. I've heard people say, I love God, but I can't stand Christians. That doesn't make sense. Either the people you're talking about aren't Christians or you aren't, or you don't understand God's desire. What he says is, if you have been changed and you are born into the family of God, you love the brothers, period. You can see this some, you can see this some in family life. You have older sibling, younger sibling, and if there's a large enough space um, uh, whatever that space is, the younger sibling just wants to, wants to do everything and be like that older one. And as they get older and they find some things, I'll say, yeah, I'm good. I want to be like that. But, but as kids, as children, they have this natural affection for those in the family. And they want to be around and do and say everything that that older sibling does. Why? There's that affection and the older sibling has that affection for them. Now, that doesn't always pan out because there are times, I know, as we get older, we start having issues with siblings. But when kids are young, after the older one despises the younger one from ruining their gig, that there's this family affection. And what he says is, if you are truly a believer, a follower of Christ, let me help you out. You'll love and enjoy being with other believers. See, he didn't say other believers that look like you. He didn't say other believers that think like you. He just said other believers. Because love will find a way, even if there is, even if there are differences in culture, in community, in economics, in education, it doesn't matter. You will find a way to express that benevolence and that affection for them on a regular basis. Why? Because the life of Christ is in you and you've changed kingdoms. So love is to be discernible. But then lastly, love is to be developed. I stopped where I did um, because I wanted to use the latter part of the verse in verse in chapter 3 and a chunk of verses in verse 4 to talk about this. He says, verse 14, let me read it again. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And that means no murderer, that means no unconfessed sin of murder. That is a heart that is unrepentant 
has eternal life abiding. Why? Because sin that is harbored, or if you are not demonstrating the love of God out of your life, what he is saying, because of what was happening when John wrote this original letter, and those who were opposing the believers of God, he says, you need to do a test. How is your heart towards other true believers? He says, it'll tell you something about yourself. You know, John tells us many times that we are to do tests. It's okay to do a test. It proves where you are. And let me help you out. Tests aren't there like people say, so God was just trying to find out where you were. God knows where you are. He knows more about you than you know about you. What God is testing is so that you can see where you are. And so when tests come, God's not trying to find anything out. He knows it. He just wants you to know. And so when you go through that test and you and it you it blows up and you bomb, God is not going to see. No, he's saying, I just wanted you to see where you really were. And now let's get back and get back on course. Or you come through it and you and boy, you are strong in that. He, he goes, I just wanted you to see where you were and how you have grown in me. Now let's keep moving on. See, the issue is tests are to reveal to us where we are. And so he says, look, everyone that hates his brother abides or does not love his brother abides in death. And then those who hate his brother is a murderer. Wow, those are, strong, those are strong words. And then verse 16. I want you guys to notice, too, this is 1 John 3.16. We know what John 3.16 says, right? Y'all say it for me. For God. John. 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. See, John 3, 16 says God showed you his love by what he gave. 1 John 3, 16, and again, uh, these were not written in chapter and verse. It's just how they divided this out. These were letters that were written. But right about that same time, he says, look at what he said. He says, look, this is love that he laid down his life. God loved the world that he gave, that Jesus, out of love, gave his life. But then love has a responsibility to it. See, he sets you free not to do what you want. The love of God sets you free to do what you ought to do, not what you want to do. See, because sometimes what I want to do is not what God wants me to do. But what he says here is God laid down his life for us and we ought. Now, that word ought for us says, you know what? It's kind of a decision that you can make on your own. That's not what this ought means. That word ought means it is your responsibility in which you are held accountable for. It is for you to love your brothers. And then he gives an example, just in case we're wondering what that love looks like. 
because back in that time, the early church Christians were suffering from the community around them and even some of their non-believing family because they had turned to Christ, especially those within the Jewish faith because their families thought that they had walked away from what was because they were not accepting Jesus as the Messiah. still happens today. Verse 17 says, but if anyone has the world's goods, so that's pretty clear what that is, right? Has the world's goods. He's, he's not, this is not a spiritual conversation, although it is spiritual. He's not talking about spiritual goods. He says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, it's obvious that you see that there's a need yet closes his heart against him, how does, the love, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So let's go back. He says, so you have material goods. He didn't say whether you have an abundance of them or not either. It just says that you have them. And you see your brother with a need, and the implication is that those material goods can solve. And it says, and it, 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 it did not say, and you don't give it to them. Look at how John puts it. He says, and you close your heart. Because before you close your wallet, before you close your clothing bank, before you close up your giving, it first starts in your heart. You've closed your heart before you've closed anything else material in your life. And so people will say, you don't, you don't talk about giving enough. That's why people don't give. I've heard that here because you, you know I don't talk a whole lot about that. My response, oh, it's not conversations on giving that we're not having enough. It's hearts that are closed, that are not open enough. And I, let me help you out, cannot open your heart. That is an act of the Spirit of God working on you and you in obedience to him responding based on the needs you see. And so he says love is to be developed. It is developed in this way that in the community, he says, listen, that you are not just to say love in word or talk, but indeed, love is action. And then lastly, this love is to be developed. It is to be practiced and patterned. Verse that I, verses that I first learned in song when I was a kid and then realized it, wore, it was actually scripture that they put to song. And it was exactly from, well, it was from the King James Version when I learned to end the song. But it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And we know that God showed us first and he initiated from love is from God. And whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Boy, hear this out. He says love is foundational and it is discernible, but it is also distinguishing. Why? Because he says, number one, love is from God. You didn't initiate, you didn't start love. We can't define it because we didn't initiate it. We didn't know what love was. 
before he came along. He, he says, love is from God. And then he says, anyone that loves according to the biblical definition knows God. Why? Because the only way that you are loving God's way is if he is the one initiating it in you because he has first shown it to you. So he says, if anyone is born of God, I mean, if they love, they're born of God and knows God. And then he gets into a further definition. Anyone who does not love does not know God. I'm telling you, I, I, I don't know about you. That is humbling. Anyone that does not love in the way that God defines it in Scripture does not know God. He's saying, don't play yourself. Don't fool yourself. He just says, check your heart. And this is not for us to check the heart of our neighbor, whether it's church neighbor or physical neighbor. Why? Does a person who does not love not know God? He says it, for God is love. That is at the very character of God. It's who he is. It's how he responds to you. It's how he deals with you. It's how he blesses you. It's how he has mercy on you. It's how he sets your course for you. In verse 10, we read, verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, and that so is not, oh, is so abundant. No, that so is in this way. If God loved us like that, we also, I said, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He makes it clear. No one has ever seen God. Tell me if y'all have. And if you did, I'm going to say I have a problem with that because the scripture says no one has ever seen God. Now, up until that point, right. And now, even now, no one has ever seen God unless you are standing in the presence of God and then you're not here. He's referring to those that are here. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And you see the connection. See, when people talk about, I'm a child of God, I'm a Christian, and their life shows something opposite, it is okay for us to scratch our head. When they say, I love and I know God, and there is no benevolent concern for the well-being of people. Now, here's what it doesn't mean, that you agree with everyone, because that's not love. When is the last time that your parent that loved you immensely agreed with everything you did, especially when you were in your knucklehead stage? I understood the love of my parents both when I... I I did what they approved of, and I did what they did not approve of. Because if they didn't care, it wouldn't really make a difference. They wouldn't even be in my life. 
I shared the example once, and I say it again, of, of a good demonstration of love. When we were in Switzerland, you know they teach their kids at a very young age how to handle traffic and the trams because their train system is above ground. It's not underground. It's, it's above ground. And so right where you walk and you ride your bikes and all that is also where these megaton trams are rolling as well and that you have to walk across tracks and things. And so one day as I was standing at this pizza shop, <clears throat> I looked across because it was right at a right at a station stop, and this mother had knelt down, and you can tell had grabbed the child, and I couldn't hear, but I know sign language, and I'm, I'm not talking about ASL either. I know sign language. She was holding on, pointing to the tram, pointing to the child, and kept going back and forth, and what was happening was out of love. She was instruction, I mean, she was instructing little homeboy on why he could not cross in front or needed to wait until that megaton um, machine passed by. Why? Because if not, and you walk out in front, and this actually happened while we were there, a young elementary student not paying attention walked in front of a tram at the right, right before the stop, and it wasn't going that fast, but those trams, were, which are about you know six to eight cars in length, couldn't stop fast enough and hit the child. We don't know if the child was killed or not. But the issue was somebody loving was stopping this child from, de from destroying themselves by, by, by holding them back from doing something they wanted because what they wanted made no sense. But to them it did. And for you and I today, God's love is not always, you know, I just love you. I'm going to let you do whatever you want. No. We have the word of God that is showing us specifically what God has said. And there are times God's love is expressed wonderfully with that two-letter word, no. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's I'm not speaking on that issue yet. So what do you do? You trust his character. You trust what you know about him. Sometimes it's wait a while. Sometimes it's not now. But sometimes it's no. And we got to be okay with that because it is God out of his love. And so my issue today is for us is if this is indeed the model of true love, I have to ask that question. Are you practicing that kind of love because of the love that God has shown you and now you are modeling what you have seen? Are you in the practice of love? Is there a pattern of love in your life that you can point to? It better be. Don't fool yourself. And then thirdly, do you have a desire to love or are you one that just wants to keep it all for yourself? I don't want to help no one. And boy, they get on my nerve. And you just seem to be the toughest person, the hardest person to be around. God is giving us the ability to test where we are. The true model of love has been seen and shown so that you can compare yourself to it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that, Lord, love is not that we love you, 
Love is actually shown in that you first loved us, you initiated. There was no reason why you should have initiated other than you wanted to, other than it was an act of your will. And you first initiated by sending Christ that he would be born, that he would grow up, that he would have an earthly ministry that would lead to him dying on the cross so that we would be able to be in relationship with you as he was resurrected in new life. And Father, I pray that we would realize and recognize that love and that we would settle the question, does God love me with that action of yours? Yes. But then I pray, God, that we need to see also that love was not only defined by you, but that love is discernible, Lord, that it should be seen in our life. Help us not to be like Cain, that when others are living godly, we are angry that because we're not, they're getting the blessings and we aren't. They're getting your approval and we aren't. Father, I also pray that we would realize that love is to be developed and that it is to be developed in the community of believers. And as we see those in need, we can work on our love by meeting that need in the joyful and grateful manner that we have what they need because you gave us what we needed. Father, you met our greatest need with your best gift in Jesus Christ because our greatest need wasn't anything material. Father, our greatest need was that we needed a Savior. And I pray that this morning, if there's anyone here that has not trusted you as Savior, that they would see your great love, your great leaning and moving toward them so that they would respond in obedience and follow you. Help us, Lord, not to love in word or in talk. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week. As you say in your scripture, but indeed, or action. We ask you this in Christ's name, amen.